Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me another day. And we are going to continue going through Pastor Ted Alexander's videos on pre-tribulationism and his uh, debunking of a post-trib pre-wrath rapture. And so if you did not see the first episode, I definitely recommend you go back and watch that one first. And just a reminder, uh, Brother Alexander has been invited to come on the podcast. He is allowed to respond uh, to anything that I have said in case I have misrepresented or been unfair in any way. I have no desire to do that. Um, but again, when it comes to YouTube land, when it comes to the internet world, if people want to put things out there to influence beyond just their church, uh, I think you know they need to be prepared for it to be publicly critiqued and should be okay with that. I'm sure he is. And that's what I'm doing right now. And just as my stuff is, I welcome uh, honest critiques. I don't like misrepresentation. I don't like straw men or anything like that. But either way, if you put it out there, you got to expect some of that to come too. But I do think we, we ought to make every attempt to be fair. And so for those who are on my side when it comes to these things, um, I know it's probably a little frustrating listening to a lot of these things because there's so many things I'm not addressing. I mean, and here's what I'm trying to do because I don't want this to be just a super long series. I'm trying to make sure I stay focused on kind of the main premise of each of these videos. Um, obviously, we are coming to different conclusions because we have different systems of theology. Brother Alexander is clearly a dispensationalist. And so uh, we have in many ways throughout this program shown the errors of dispensationalism that are many. Um, but at the same time, I don't have time to go back and, sh you know, dismantle his system that led him to that conclusion. What I am doing is showing where clear mistakes are, where clear errors are. And, and to me, that is the best evidence of a faulty system. If he is coming to all of these just completely false conclusions, obviously what got him there, there's something wrong with that system. And so, um, we're, um, so in these next videos too, um, we're going to just, you know, point out a couple of these clear errors and a lot of what he is doing wrong is he is again, assuming that he is right about a pre-trib, a pre-trib position. And so he's like, well, cause we, we know it's pre-trib. Therefore, we have to interpret this passage this way. Well, the problem is, one, you're wrong about a pre-trib, but even the fact he's saying that, it shows that this isn't real clear just in this passage alone. But we are we are interpreting this one passage in light of a pre-trib rapture. But we're going to see there's way better ways to interpret that passage. And we have there's no problem if you don't hold pre-trib position so again for you pre-tribbers watching this you know at some point you have to say if all our teachers make so many errors maybe there is something wrong maybe we um i'm going to be preaching on this on uh I, on sunday um and those watching this i would have preached it last sunday but i'm talking about doctrinal landmarks there are some clear 
a, a landmark is something that kind of we can clearly identify to kind of give us perspective to show you're in a general area of somewhere. And we have doctrinal landmarks, things that are very clear in the scripture uh, that we're supposed to go off of. And unfortunately, people have removed landmarks or they've moved landmarks in some ways uh, where they've just ignored these things from the scriptures, kind of how we do it today. And as a result of that, people are just off by a mile on some things. And so um, when you interpret everything in light of a pre-trib rapture, if you're wrong about a pre-trib rapture, you're going to get a lot of other things wrong. And that's what we're going to, we're seeing happen here. So at some point you people really need to check your system. But uh, anyway, we're going to try to go through, we've gone through three in the last video. We're going to try to go through two more. I have not watched the next five. I may uh, do a response unprepared without uh, having watched it ahead of time, not knowing what's coming. That could be more interesting. We'll see what happens. I might start doing it and change my mind. Like, now nah, I need to, I need to be prepared. So we'll see what happens. But either way, uh, let's watch these next two videos because there's some uh, really good stuff. This next one we're going to see is a uh, he's kind of doing a clarification from the previous video where he showed the absence of the church. We talked about that. Uh, and he's basically showing the reference to the saints uh, that are in Revelation and how that's not the church. That's, you know, people who got saved during the tribulation. So let's go ahead and watch this video, see what he has to say. All right, hello, this is Ted Alexander again, and I'm here with kind of a little follow-up video, uh, uh, an amendment of the last video I made. In the last video that uh, we put out, um, we, of course, are dealing with the subject of the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture, and uh, Stephen Anderson and many others have taken it in hand to try to uh, pervert the scripture and to uh, take away our blessed hope, our future outlook, our comfort, as the Bible calls, uh, the pre-tribulation rapture. And uh, so we're trying to combat some of these errors. I have known men uh, that were good, solid men that have gone into this error. And uh, so we're trying to combat that. And uh, our last video, we're trying to cut these down a little bit shorter. The last one seemed to end abruptly, I, I know, but uh, we're trying to uh, cut them down a little bit shorter. But anyway, in the last one, we talked about uh, Revelation chapter 4, and we talked about uh, the division there with John, uh, when John uh, is told here, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And uh, we talked about how there was a dispensational change there and how that was a rapture. And what we showed in the last video was that you see the church in Revelation 2, 3, and 4. And then uh, from Revelation 6 on, when the tribulation starts, you do not see the church at all. And then we talked about how the church is back in view uh, when Christ comes back with 10,000s of his saints um, that Jude talks about. And uh, that's to the uh, second advent. And uh, But after I finished that video, uh, I was reminded uh, in my own mind about the fact that there are some out there that argue uh, that you do see saints uh, in the book of Revelation. And therefore, because you see the word saints used, uh, that must then mean that the church is left behind and uh, goes through the tribulation period. Well, I'd like to uh, deal with some of those scriptures. In fact, I want to deal with all of the pertinent scriptures that have uh, the word saints uh, in those verses in the book of Revelation to dispel this notion uh, that somehow, because you see the word saints in the book of Revelation, 
then therefore the church is left behind and goes through the tribulation period. So again, I hope you'll grab your Bible. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip to some scriptures real quickly here. And what I want you to understand as we look at this, and this is the whole premise of what I want you to see, is that the saints that the Bible talks about in these specific verses that are uh, that are being attacked and being questioned by some, uh, this is the saints on earth in the tribulation. And who these people are is people who were saved after the rapture took place. Now, uh, we know that there's controversy in reference to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, the Tim LaHaye left behind movies and videos and all those popular uh, Christian pop culture uh, type things that have been put out. And uh, I understand that there are some that teach that after the rapture takes place, uh, a, a Christian who has preached the gospel, a preacher even can run down to the church house and get saved. Although I do believe that LaHaye and some of those like him are largely orthodox uh, in their view, at least of uh, eschatology and their viewpoints concerning uh, these issues. I do not agree uh, with many on this idea that once you've heard the gospel clearly in the dispensation of the grace of God, that you can then just run down to the church house after the rapture and get saved. It's not going to happen according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll deal with that in a later video, but God will send strong illusion, and uh, you will believe a lie uh, if you've rejected Christ in the dispensation of the grace of God, this church age, and you will be damned. All will be damned, the Bible tells me. We'll look at that later. Now, let me just stop and say that um, when it comes to 2 Thessalonians 2, okay, I think uh, it's clear, you know, the Bible says, let no man deceive you. Uh, and it's specifically about the Antichrist. We see that in Matthew 24, let no man deceive you for many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. And so I do believe that, you know, and Jesus said too, if it be possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And so let me just say that while it's been taught in the pre-trib world forever, that after the rapture, those who have had the opportunity to hear the gospel will not be able to be saved. Um, I think the way that that is should actually be interpreted that you if you just study it you'll see fits more with what we teach is those who uh when the antichrist appears those who have had opportunity to be saved they will be deceived by the antichrist those who are listening to the preaching and that have heard what we teach about the gospel and even end times and things like that when that man of sin is be revealed they will be duped is basically uh, what, what the way we would interpret that because he is going to be very deceptive people who have an opportunity to be saved now they are if they refuse they are not going to come around when this massive deception begins and the antichrist is revealed they will be damned they will uh they will not get saved you know now again there are going to be a lot of people who haven't had opportunity I believe they will still have a chance, but those who have been rejecting, rejecting, whenever a time comes where we do, man, I mean, deception is greater than ever. God's not going to speak to them and uh, he will send them a strong delusion. So, you know, that teaching fits fine with what we believe in the post world, but here's another point I want to make. So in the last video, and he talks about how, you know, the church isn't mentioned, the church, the church, the church, and we already explained, do we now believe in a universal church? It wouldn't make sense for him to say church when he's not going after a specific church. He's going after all believers, saints. And so they will talk about how the church isn't mentioned, therefore we are not here for it. But the problem is saints are mentioned many times and just, we're not even going to take time to go look at all these. But just go and look in Paul's epistles, okay? 
Ted Alexander is dispensational. Okay, I don't know how dispensationally is if he's like a Pauline epistle only guy. I kind of doubt he's like that. But in Paul's epistles, he refers to us as saints all the time. Second Thessalonians one ten, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. He's clearly talking about believers in 1 Timothy 3.13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. Uh, you know, Colossians 1.4, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. I mean, we could go on and on. I'm looking at just a ton of scriptures right here where it's referring to believers when he's writing to the churches. He's writing to the churches. And what's he calling them? Saints. He's calling them saints. That's a reference to just all believers. But yet, even though we have all these references to saints in the book of Revelation, well, it can't be talking about us, even though we are referred to as saints throughout the New Testament, because it doesn't say church. It has to say church. No, it doesn't have to say church. It shouldn't say church because we are not dealing with local churches. We're dealing with believers. The Antichrist is going after believers. So this is this is a pointless argument that he's making because he is just he's creating a demand for a word that there's no need for. He's demanding it say church. But then what he's trying to do is just show saints are something different. These are just tribulation saints. And uh, that's absolutely ridiculous. There's no reason for us to, to think that way. But let's go ahead and listen more to what he has to say. Uh, but that doesn't mean that nobody's saved in the tribulation period, okay? So who these saints are is these are people who were saved during the tribulation period who did not hear a clear presentation of the gospel and did not reject the truth, uh, tribes that had never heard it, uh, people who had never been presented the gospel. Uh, I don't want to say something that's not in the Bible. As much as I uh, want to try to teach the Bible, I have to be careful not to add things. And so I'm not exactly sure who all these people are. However, I do know that the greatest soul harvest in all of world history, from what I can see in the Word of God, and I'll show you why I believe that later, uh, takes place during the tribulation period, and uh, for good reason. God sends out so many different witnesses, 144,000 Jewish evangelists, an angel to preach the everlasting gospel, uh, these two witnesses, 21 cataclysmic events that will shake the earth and the heaven. Okay, let me just stop here, and I want you to notice something he said too, because again, these people, people get mad when I talk about pre-tribbers and them reciting catechisms and not using the words of God. That's exactly what they do. So, for example, he uh, specifically referred to Tim LaHaye and the Left Behind series and how he disagrees with how everybody's getting saved uh, after the rapture. Uh, that's fine. But then he says that he believes they're orthodox in their eschatology. And then he refers to this soul harvest, which just happens to be the name of the fourth book in the Left Behind series, where we have the 144,000 Jewish evangelists going out and evangelizing the world. So interesting about, he, so he said soul harvest. We don't see that uh, term used uh, to explain what happens in Revelation. We see that with Tim LaHaye and his book Left Behind, but also 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 144,000 Jewish witnesses. We don't see that in the Bible either. Now your heads are exploding 
but you have heard that repeated from the pre-trip catechism so time, so many times, your head's exploding that I said the Bible never talks about 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Okay, let's just read a few verses. And after I, Revelation 7, after I saw these things, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. Wind should not blow in the earth or sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice, the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them that were sealed. Okay. So they're referred to as servants of God. So Revelation 7 only talks about 144,000 being sealed, okay? And it refers to them as servants of God, okay? And we see that there are 12,000 that are mentioned from each of the 12 tribes. Now, I personally believe this is a reference to uh, Old Testament saints that were from the different tribes, okay? But at the same time too, uh, they will say it's people in the future, even though we don't have tribes today. Nobody knows what tribes they're from. And even though, and I, I, I don't even have time to get into all the foolishness. Okay. And I don't fully understand everything about the 144,000, but let me just show you what these people are saying is just unprovable. And they are using words as scripture that you do not find in the scripture. 144,000 Jewish witnesses, 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Okay. First off, there's a difference between a Jew uh, who was from the southern kingdom of Judah, which included Judah and Benjamin and the Levites, and then there was Israel in the northern kingdom. The Jews were those from the southern kingdom. But now all of a sudden they're saying Jewish, but it applies to all 12 tribes. That's not how the word is used in the Bible. That's how Zionists are using it today, but that's not how the Bible uses the word. But let's go to Revelation 14. And lo, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's names written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the Lord and the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song, but the 144,000, which were redeemed from the earth. These are they, which were not defiled with women for they are virgins they are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. So notice they're never called evangelists. We, they're not called witnesses. We do not see them witnessing. Yet I have said that many times. I've referred to them as witnesses. Why? Because we've been brainwashed with this yet these 144,000 are with the lamb on Mount Zion. Did Jesus already return? What's he doing on Mount Zion already? Obviously this is talking about heavenly Mount Zion. They've been following the lamb whithersoever he goeth. Um, wait, I thought these people appear after the rapture. So did they all die? And there did all 144,000 that were sealed so they would be protected. Did they all 144,000 of them die? And so now they're with the land. You realize how none of these things make any sense. It actually makes more sense that these are people who were redeemed from the earth, who were saved old Testament saints from the different tribes that we see. Uh, um, if, if they are literal, okay. If they are literal, it would make sense that they are 144,000 people who were saved during the old Testament period that are the first fruits of God and that 
follow the lamb with us wherever he goeth. They're with him right now. And maybe what they're doing is they are being sent to earth, you know, during that time after the believers have been removed. Cause I believe we will, uh, I believe we go out at revelation seven, which is where we also see the 144,000 sealed. I believe after they have their resurrected bodies, maybe they come back to earth. I'm not dogmatic on that. I think it's a great theory. I know many people believe it that way, but also here in chapter 14, where we see the 144,000 mentioned again, we also see two angels doing a harvest where they're gathering one up to heaven, I believe, which is a picture of the rapture. And they're doing another harvest, casting them in the wine press of the wrath of God, showing though the rest of the world uh, coming under the wrath of God. So either way, you know, there's a lot of speculation when it comes to the 144,000 and everything here. I just say all this to show you the Bible never shows us 144,000 Jewish evangelists going and evangelizing the world. It's not there, but it's in every pre-trib catechism that's out there. And they use that as proof that God's not done with Israel. Now you are adding to the scripture. And he said in this video, you know, I don't want to put something in the scripture that's not there, but yet that's what he's doing, but he can get away with it because every pre-tribber on the planet will agree with him because it's in all their pre-tribulation books. But yet I just read all the scriptures about the 144,000. They're never called witnesses. They're never called evangelists. They're not, they're not even called Jews. They're called 12,000 from the 12 tribes. Jude, Jews are from the Southern kingdom. So uh, let's use, if we're going to use Bible words, let's use them the way the Bible uses them. So anyway, uh, again, all this is just being used to prove it's not about the church. So there'll be a great multitude saved, and we'll, we'll look at them later. Uh, but that's who these people are. And nowhere in these verses in question do you see the word church or any allusion uh, to the fact that this is the church. Okay, so the first one I want to look at is in Revelation chapter 8. And I skipped some of them uh, because they, they're not pertinent and they're not in question. The word saints is used. Uh, God is the king of the saints and things of that nature. And they're not pertinent to this discussion. But the first one I want to look at is in Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 3 where the Bible says, And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now obviously these are saved people. They're saints who are on earth, but they're not a part of the church. And these saints, of course, are here on this earth. And in the previous verse in chapter 8, it says, When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. So the seventh seal is open. And you'll notice here that an angel comes and stands at the altar having a golden censer. There was given him much incense. He should offer with it the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar. So these are people on earth. They're offering up prayers, obviously, up to heaven. That is not in dispute. But this is not the church. If this is the church, then everything the Bible teaches in reference to all we've talked about thus far and everything else that we'll talk about from this point forward, which is a, a great wealth of information in the scripture, then all of that would have to be wrong and there'd have to be contradiction in the scriptures. We've See, there's only contradiction if you're right about a pre-trib rapture. Now, notice how he just told you that these prayers of the saints are prayers of people on earth and not the church because it doesn't say church. Okay. Uh, it, so what, what he is, it seems that he is assuming here, love to have him on the program to ask him this is that he is assuming that these prayers of the saints are current prayers taking place at that time. Well, does it have to be that? 
Because an interesting verse uh, that I, I find interesting in Psalms chapter 56, in verse 7, it says, Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is with me. And we often, you know, speculate and talk about those tears that are in his bottle. And I personally believe the prayers of the saints. I believe God is throughout the centuries has been storing up these prayers and these tears that people are, are shedding when they are calling out to him because of the persecution on them. We've already seen in Revelation 6, how we have the martyrs, the souls of the martyrs that are under the throne. They're saying, how long, O Lord, dost thou not judge? We know throughout the centuries that people, as they have Christians, that they have sat in prison, that they have prayed, they have cried out to God. And God did not answer those prayers at that time. But I, I think we would all agree. He has those things stored up. And later on, when we see Jesus go into that temple and he pours out those vials and you hear voices and thunders and lightnings, I personally think that this... And if I can just give you a little bit of opinion here, this is what I picture happening. I believe that, and I believe we'll be in heaven at this point, but I believe that Jesus Christ is going to go into that temple and he is going to pour out that vial and just in his, you know, omniscience and his sovereignty, he is going to all of a sudden as he pours those out, it's like he's one more time, he's going to hear those prayers that he saved. He's going to hear prayers that I prayed. I think one of the voices that you're going to hear out of there and you, and, and we won't be able to make it out and notice it, but Jesus will, he's going to hear my prayers. Some of those imprecatory prayers that people have paid prayed. I think he's going to hear the prayer of David that he did. And we are going to see all these prayers that God's been saving up these prayers that were just and righteous. We're going to see them answered and the world is going to suffer. As a result, so I don't know why these prayers have to be current prayers taking place. I'm sure there's going to be some saints praying uh, during that time. I believe people are going to get saved after the rapture too. But why can't these prayers of the saints be our prayers? Prayers that I prayed today, prayers I prayed yesterday. Where he's just telling us this can't be the church because it's not mentioned. Saints are mentioned. Again, it shouldn't say church because the church is a local assembly. And so this is just an unbelievably horrible argument. So uh, let's go ahead and, and watch some more. Clearly proven to this point that the church is not here during the tribulation. So these have to be of those who get saved by the grace of God after the rapture takes place and they clearly have not heard the truth prior to that. In verse four, it says the smoke of the incense, which come with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So these are people here during the tribulation, but they're people who got saved after the rapture took place. Um, there's another verse at Revelation eleven eighteen, and uh, this so all from prayers of the saints, just from prayers of the saints, he got people who got saved after the rapture. Uh, that's a that's a massive leap. That is a massive assumption. That is not specified anywhere in in the scriptures that is just something that his doctrine demands but again he's wrong 
He's wrong about the pre-trib rapture. Deals with rewards, and those rewards come later, and so this one's not really relevant either, I don't think. And so I'm going to go uh, to another couple of verses that are in question, and they're found in Revelation chapter 13, and this is verse number 7. And the Bible says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now this is Antichrist, and the Bible says, It was given unto him to make war with the saints. And so those people who get saved after the rapture takes place, there'll be a great multitude of them, both Jews and Gentiles. And uh, we find that Antichrist makes war with them, okay? Um, this is what the Antichrist kingdom is all about. It's about total control. It's about governmental control, food control. It's about famine. It's about war. It's about religious control, mind control. And he attempts to try to control them, okay? And so he makes war with those people who are saved after the rapture takes place. In verse number 10, the Bible says this, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Again, that word saints is used. It does not say church. It does not say church age saved people. All the rest of the preponderance of the evidence clearly deals with the fact that this is not the church. These are simply people who get saved in the midst of the tribulation period. Now, um, in Revelation chapter 6, and I want to turn over there, in Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 9, the Bible says this, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And so again, these are those martyrs that got saved in the midst of the tribulation period. And uh, this, of course, is part of that fifth seal. And uh, these are martyrs, okay? So these are people who got saved after the rapture takes place. This absolutely has nothing at all to do with the church. And so this idea that, well, that's not true, Brother Alexander, because this, the saints of God, the church is seen after uh, the tribulation starts. No, it does not. And let me just uh, very quickly end this video this way. You do not come to a position on any doctrine um, by simply taking one or two verses and resting them out of their context with a tunnel vision uh, not looking uh, to other scriptures to try to lay upon them. But what you do is you try to find a, a field of truth that is taught throughout the scriptures. And, that, and that's what we've done so far and will continue to do is build that field of truth that deals with the fact that the church will not be here. We showed how Daniel said it cannot possibly be for the church. It's for Israel. We looked at John 14, how that Jesus said there is a rapture. And we looked at other scriptures. Well, uh, what we're saying is these verses must be interpreted in light of the rest of the scripture. You cannot have two different contradictory truths in the Bible, and you do not come to your doctrinal position by taking these few verses that say saints and making them say church in your mind, and all of a sudden you have the church here, regardless of what the rest of scripture says. That is not handling the word of God, honestly. And so I wanted to follow up on that, and uh, we're going to continue on, but I had to stop and uh, make sure that everybody understood this because you're going to hear some folks say that, well, the church is here. Don't get troubled by that. This is not the church. The church is gone. And these are people that get saved after the rapture takes place. Okay. So where did he get that Daniel said it can't be the church? Uh, I already showed how the inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenants and blessings was a mystery. So I, I don't know, maybe, maybe he misspoke a little bit there, but couple things. Notice how he said there can't be two contradictory truths. That's a fact. I agree with that. But what, so what he did 
is he has declared that saints has to mean a people who got saved after the rapture because we know it's a pre-trib rapture. But again, you're wrong about a pre-trib rapture. Now, let's look at saints, okay? Because I, I just encourage anybody to do this. Go on BibleGateway.com, go on eSword, go on Sword Searcher, and just type in saints and read every reference to saints in the Bible. It's just believers. And then you've got to show me a biblical difference between the saints throughout all the scriptures and the saints in Revelation. There's no reason to think we're talking about a whole new group of people. He is declaring and demanding that they be a completely separate group because the church is not mentioned. Well, then I could go to the places in the New Testament where it's talking about saints and say, where does it say church? Therefore, this isn't the church. Again, a church is a specific local called out assembly. It's not a universal church. Saints are just believers. And, and so he, and he's been referring to the rapture of all the saved. I don't know if he said rapture of the saints, but he's been saying the rapture of all the saved. Some people say the rapture of the church. And I think that's a bad term uh, that some people take to an extreme and only members of a church, some Baptist briders, only members of a Baptist church are going to go up in the rapture. That's ridiculous. Uh, Brother Alexander has not seemed to imply that he believes that in any way. He he keeps saying the rapture of all the saved, but that's the saints. That's who they are. So there is, you have to display scripturally where the Bible shows us the saints and who they are changing from the church, as you would uh, want to call it before that, to where whenever we see saints in Revelation, it's no longer the church. Because we don't see the word church, even though it wouldn't make sense because we're not dealing with specific churches anymore like we were in chapter two and three, and we're dealing with all the saints. He's making war with the saints, not just with the church, not just with the Baptist, not with Liberty Baptist Church, with the saints, with the saved. He's going after individuals. He's telling individuals, you take that mark. So uh, this video was another massive nothing burger, uh, did absolutely nothing to help the pre-trib rapture. Now, um, listen, so far, again, if you uh, are pre-trib, you have to admit, okay, pre-tribbers have got to stop circling the rat wagons for other pre-tribbers when they are making massive errors, blunders, misrepresentations, building straw men. You have to stop that. And and I, I have showed how many mistakes that he's making uh, many false assumptions, many straw men and pre-tribbers need, y'all need to start calling out people in your own camp for this kind of thing. Cause this is bad stuff. Now this next video we're going to watch, this is really bad. Okay. This is a, I'm, I'm, we are going to show and display massive direct contradictions to the very words of Paul. And here's the sad thing. Brother Alexander is not the only pre-tribber saying this stuff. Many of you, and I do know some pre-tribbers who have actually corrected this. They've been called out and they have corrected this. All pre-tribbers should correct the mistake that they, that Brother Alexander is going to make because this is not even debatable. This is not a question. What he is going to say in this video is so wrong. 
And yet many of you have said it because the pre-trib rapture does not come from the scriptures. It comes from other books. It comes from dispensationalism. It comes from your catechisms. And so let's watch this next video and let's see some, first off, a really weird heresy. And that's easily, very easy to debunk. But then too, just a massive contradiction of the words of Paul. Hello, Ted Alexander coming at you again. Uh, I'm here in a uh, playground uh, studying the Word of God, and I decided to do a video here uh, this morning. And uh, there'll be a little background noise, but bear with me. I'll speak uh, a little bit more loudly, and hopefully you'll be able to get the gist of what I'm saying. I do want you to grab your Bible. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And again, to remind you, we're dealing with the subject of the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial uh, rapture of all the saved of the church age or the times of the Gentiles. And uh, you know, the question is really in some people's minds, is this a pipe dream? Um, you know, were the old timers wrong to preach this? Is this some new doctrine? And uh, we're gonna try to prove conclusively uh, that this is well within the pale of orthodoxy and in fact is supported by every scripture in the word of God. And so our position obviously is that Christ comes back prior to all seven years of the tribulation and raptures every saved person uh, that is that is uh, upon this earth, okay? Uh, so uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we're looking now at verse number 13, and I would ask you to follow along. And we're going to try to exposit. There's so much in this passage, and I have my Bible right here just so you can see, and I hope you have yours. Uh, we're going to have to come back to this passage. So if, if, when we get through, you say, well, why didn't you say this? Um, just bear with me, please, uh, because we cannot possibly say everything in one or two or five or ten videos. Uh, but we will say what we can today. Uh, so we plan on going to chapter five as well. Just bear with me. Uh, verse 13. Here we go. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope, okay? So the first thing I want you to notice is, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. You know, brethren, God doesn't want us ignorant. That's what the Word of God says. Uh, so there's no excuse for us, you know, being wrong about this, not comparing Scripture to Scripture, not taking the time and employing all the rules of biblical interpretation to come out with the right, uh, the right position on this subject. It's not good enough to bury our head in the sand and say, I don't understand it. Uh, God doesn't want you ignorant. He wants you learned on these subjects, okay? So, uh, you know, I remember years ago, I was preaching in a church and I preached on prophecy and a pastor came to me afterwards and he said, brother, I'm so glad you preached that uh, in my church. And I said, why is that? He said, well, we need it. Uh, we don't understand these things. He said, and, and I personally never preached the book of Revelation. And I asked him why. And he said, well, he said, uh, I don't understand it. And so therefore I never touch prophecy. And I was absolutely flabbergasted in light of several things, but primarily because men of God are to preach the whole counsel of God. And if we're ignoring prophecy, we're ignoring a massive amount of scripture, old and new. Let me just stop and say, I, I would agree with him. We should not ignore any of the scriptures. We definitely should not ignore the book of revelation, but there are many pastors that do ignore the book of revelation and it's simply because they don't understand it. And I, and I believe the reason they do not understand it is because they are trying to force a pre-trib doctrine in there and they're just not seeing it. 
So I think what it is with a lot of these people is they're just too honest to preach from the book of Revelation uh, because it's like, I can't get up. This is not lining up with the catechism that I have been trained to recite. And so it does it. Studying Revelation confuses them greatly because they have a system in their head. They've got the left behind late great planet earth, you know, thief in the night story in their mind, but they're not seeing that story in the book of revelation. So what happens, it causes a great conflict preaching revelation, um, and, and promoting the, uh, left behind narrative, the thief of the night narrative is going to hurt them in their spirit because it does not line up with the scriptures. So there's a, there's going to be a conflict there. But also teaching revelation the way it is written will cause great conflict between them and the brethren. And so um, most people are, they are honest enough to just ignore it. Most churches do ignore it. And it's because of those two things. Now, here's what they all need to do. They all need to tell all their preacher buddies to go jump in the lake and they need to just be honest with the scriptures forget the late great planet earth and the thief in the night and all those things and just preach what the text says and then they will be fine but it it will cost them it will cost them politically but you know what they're going to stand before god one of these days and give an account for what they preached and i wish i wish we could get preachers to fear god more than they fear man many people are very terrified of you know pastors like brother alexander who is you know he is a uh, you know, he, you know, he preaches, I've heard him preach before he preaches with authority. He preaches strong, you know, and he uses strong language and, you know, and he, uh, he makes it sound bad. If you, you know, deviate from the accepted, uh, positions on these things. And a lot of people fear that kind of thing, but, and, and that's okay, but we ought to fear God more. And I do, I fear God much more than I fear any man. And so um, I don't let this kind of thing influence me. I, 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 am, I am so not intimidated by this type of thing. Um, the, the more I see people get belligerent, he doesn't get belligerent in these videos. And I've heard preaching of a lot of people where they are very belligerent against those who aren't pre-trib, but it, it does not intimidate me one bit. I see their outrage, their extreme statements as just a sign of frustration because again, they are frustrated because things aren't adding up. So they're just demanding conform, conform, conform. And they're not capable of proving they're not capable of sitting down with somebody like me and being challenged, even though I have a 100% record of treating opposition fairly when I have them on my podcast, 100%. No, no one, no one denies that I treat people fairly when we have him come on and talk about these things. So I would, I would love to have brother Alexander, somebody who has his same beliefs. If they want to come and try to defend, if you want to try to defend some of these mistakes I've pointed out, you are more than welcome to do that. Let's do it. Uh, uh, I'm fine. And I, I will be fair again, because no frustration here, no intimidation here. Um, we've got to get pride off the table. We got to get politics off the table 
and just get to the truth. So let's watch some more. Testament. So that's just not good enough. That's that's. There's no excuse for that. Uh, we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Honestly, we should be ashamed of ourselves if we do not study these things and know some things. So, uh, but at any rate. Um, it says, I would not have you to be ignorant. Verse 13, I don't want to get too far afield. Brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So this is saved people in the church age being addressed by the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And so it's brethren. I don't want you to be ignorant specifically in this passage concerning what? Concerning them which are asleep. Now those are saints of God that have died in the church age. They were, were clearly saved, born again on their way to heaven. But he says that he calls them asleep. Now, later they're going to be called the dead in Christ. So uh, we don't believe in soul sleep. Uh, the Bible teaches totally contrary to that. And so we're not even going to waste the time on that subject. These are saints in the church age that have died. And I would say specifically, uh, this is the Gentiles, okay? Um, in other words, the Jews, the full-blood Jews, uh, from the, uh, the dispensation of law, they're not going to be resurrected with the saints of God in the church age. Uh, you know, there's a lot of question, who's in the bride and this and that. And, and I've been asked this specific question. What do you, do you not think Abraham will be good enough to be in the bride? Uh, it's not a matter of good enough or bad enough uh, in reference Old Testament saints for sure. Uh, but I do believe the Jewish resurrection takes place, uh, according to Ezekiel 37 and other texts, we'll look at this uh, subject just prior to uh, the millennial kingdom. And I think that's clear. All right. So first off, this is a very strange teaching that many pre-tribulation people have. Now, I would say probably most of them don't. However, if you are going to follow the pre-trib catechism to its logical conclusion, then you would have to assume a separate resurrection for the Old Testament saints. Okay. Now, again, are you getting your doctrine from the scriptures or from extra biblical books, from dispensationalism and things like that? Now, let me just ask you a question. If that doctrine is true, that the Old Testament saints experience a different resurrection than the New Testament saints, there should be something in the Bible that would help indicate that. See, this is an assumption based on the so-called fact that the church and Israel are not the same. Okay? And again, I've already showed, I don't want to repeat this and go to the scriptures on it, that the inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenants and promises, that was a mystery that was not known uh, in the Old Testament, but it was made known in the New. It, the, the disciples, they were shocked when Gentiles started getting saved at first. But then as they came together, they're like, sure enough, this is exactly what the scriptures taught. So again, um, the resurrection, so we are, we have the same resurrection. Now there's, this is another reason too, that in the pre-trib world, they always want to refer to the coming of Christ, not as the coming of Christ, but as the rapture of the church, because that a term rapture of the church, again, it's a separate, if, if you, we you use extra biblical terms, then we can attach our own definition to it. If we call it the coming of Christ, then we would have to let the word of God define the coming of Christ. And that creates a problem if you're pre-trib because it's referred to as his coming in Matthew 24, and it's referred to as his coming in 1 Thessalonians 4. So uh, if we use Bible terms, it creates all kinds of problems if you're pre-trib. And, and if you're a pre-trib, you have to admit that. 
they are dependent on extra biblical terms. Now, another term the Bible uses is the term the resurrection. Now, how on earth would it be inappropriate for us to not refer to as the coming of Christ, the resurrection, when in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's all about those who have gone to sleep, the dead in Christ, rising and us being caught up with them. Of course, that's a resurrection. Now, that term is used a lot in the Bible, resurrection. Now, here's the question. Go look up the word resurrection in the Bible. And how do you, from the scriptures, make a distinction between the resurrection of the Jews and the resurrection of the saved, uh, of the saints? Now, let me just look at a few verses. And then I just want to ask you some questions that to me are very revealing. Uh, in John 11, in verse 24, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, now let me ask you, the resurrection that uh, Martha was expecting Lazarus to rise in, was that the Jewish resurrection or the church resurrection? Lazarus was a Jew. Are, are we technically in the New Testament dispensation yet since the death of the testator hasn't taken place? So is Lazarus going to go up in a different resurrection at this point? Obviously, he rose from the dead and then died again in the New Testament dispensation. So, But at, at the same time, the resurrection of the last day that Martha referred to, is that not the resurrection that we're talking about? Is, is she referring to a completely different event? Uh, and so let's look at another uh, reference to the resurrection. Um, in Acts chapter 4, in verse 2, uh, it says, Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So remember the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were always arguing about the resurrection, whether that was even a thing or not. The Sadducees denied it. But here we have the Jews getting upset, and especially the Sadducees, that they are preaching the resurrection of the dead through Jesus. Okay, Now, our resurrection is through Jesus. That's what 1 Corinthians 15. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? You know, we are getting our sins, but they're preaching to the Jews who believed and some of them who believed in a resurrection of the dead. And they're letting them know that, hey, yeah, there is a resurrection and it's through Jesus. He's where the resurrection comes from. You know, and it says in Acts 17, 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Okay, so which resurrection? Is that the church resurrection or the Jewish resurrection? In Acts 23, 6, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council of men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, am I called in question? So is he talking about the Jewish resurrection or the church resurrection? Paul, the epistle to the Gentiles. But yet he's preaching to the Jews, talking about the resurrection of the dead. Is this a different resurrection than what he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians? And so we're not even going to go to, and you say, well, the resurrection of the dead, that's not the same as the resurrection of the saints. Well, in first Corinthians 15, 13, he said, but if there be no resurrection of the dead and, and first Corinthians 15, 21, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. How can you, with the words of God, make the resurrection of the dead, two different events between the Jews, one for the Jews and one for the church, one at the rapture and one at the end of the tribulation for the Jews. It's the same resurrection. There is absolutely no doubt about that. 
And and I, I and at least he doesn't think Ezekiel 37 is about 1948. I mean, uh, let's let's give him credit for that. But no, Ezekiel 37, he's right. That is about the resurrection of the Jews, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But what's the same resurrection that we're going to be in? It's it's there's you cannot with the words of God make a distinction between the resurrection of the Jews, of the saved Jews, and a resurrection of the church. You cannot do that. Here, to me, the only place where you can make a distinction between the resurrection of the dead is the resurrection of the saved and the rest and the resurrection of the lost. And notice what it says in uh, Revelation 20. It says, uh, verse four, and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So we're about to talk about a resurrection of people who did not take the mark of the beast. Now I'm assuming brother Alexander would say that is referring to the resurrection of the Jews after the tribulation. That he's talking about but notice it says but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection so it would appear to me from this passage that there that what we are seeing here is uh, it, there's a reference to a resurrection that will come after the thousand years which is i believe what we see at the great white throne where the dead small and great stand before god but this particular resurrection that takes place on people who did not take the mark, who were beheaded, who are going to live and reign with Christ a thousand years. It's called the first resurrection. It's called the first resurrection. So listen, if you're a pre-tribber and if you believe that's a resurrection of the Jews, then you have to believe that there is a resurrection that takes place before the first resurrection. That you, you see, and you see why they don't want to call the rapture, the resurrection, even though that's a more biblical term, because if you do, you might tie it in with revelation chapter 20, you might tie it in with the resurrection of the old Testament saints, which messes up your, a lot of your Israel teaching pre-tribbers, you know, dispensationalists are not capable of using the terms that the words of God uses. They have to use their extra biblical terms. Because if you, you, if, if I, if I make up a word, I can make up a definition and that's what they're doing. And so they are, they're saying rapture so they can attach a definition to it that fits their doctrine. If they use God's words, we're going to go and look in the Bible and see, well, how is God using those words? And that will mess up your pre-trib position every time. So, uh, this separate resurrection of the Jews, I think is a pretty serious heresy, um, I, I completely 100% am against that. We are coming up the same time. And, th and this is weird too, because some pre-tribbers teach the old Testament saints already resurrected. You know, that's what they think the uh, graves opening up at the crucifixion of Christ was. And I don't have time to go into that. That's a ridiculous teaching, but this is also ridiculous. They're going up the same time as us. One, there's one resurrection of the just, and there's a resurrection of the unjust and the unjust takes place after the thousand years scripture and, it's, and it seems to indicate in the scripture that those who are partakers of the marriage supper of the lamb and the wedding and uh, are, are in the bride and all of that uh, those are people who have been resurrected and so we'll look at that later but this is specifically dealing with people in the church age that's kind of a side issue but uh, at this point
but these are people in the church age. They're clearly saved. Now their bodies are in the grave. And some are wondering what's going to happen to them. Well, the, well he says, sorrow not about those which are asleep, even as others which have no hope. Okay, so don't act like these people are lost and on their way to hell. Don't act like you're lost and acting like a lost man, all worried about this. Um, don't sorrow over those who are in the grave. God's got a plan for them. And what is that plan? Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died, and we certainly do, and rose again, and we certainly do, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So those bodies in the graves are going to be brought with God. Okay, He's going to bring them with him. He's not going to leave them behind. There will be the, there's a promise of the resurrection. There will be a fulfillment of that promise of the resurrection to them. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, and there's no greater authority by which he could say this, the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. That's an amazing statement. That indicates that there will be a generation alive and remaining unto the coming of the Lord at the rapture. Okay, so I hope it's me. I hope it's our generation. I hope it happens very soon. But he says this, we that are alive, when Christ comes at the rapture, we will not prevent them which are asleep. So the saints in the graves, they've been saved, they're now buried. We're not going to pre prevent them. Now, what does that mean? Well, the, old, the, the word prevent is an old English word. It means pre-event or to go before the event. And what it means is we will not go up before they go up. Wow. You say, I thought this was all one simultaneous uh, transaction. Well, it is. But we will not go before the event of those in the graves getting raptured. Uh, and I'll show you the order in just a moment. Here it is. For the Lord himself shall descend. Now, this is amazing. He doesn't send an angel now. He doesn't send a prophet anymore. This is such an important task, the rapture, that he descends himself. Here comes Jesus Christ from heaven with a shout. Now, this is interesting. He's not uh, there at the uh, Battle of Armageddon and then gathering people. He's descending now from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. He's not coming with the saints, as we see at the second advent to the battle of Armageddon. He is coming with an angel. Okay, now I want you to notice something here, okay? Because he's going to say this a lot. He's already said it before, and I, I've not really touched on it. He, so a lot of people, when they're desperate, <laughs> they will try to, to make a distinction between the rapture in first Thessalonians four and the second coming in Matthew 24 is they will say, says the Lord himself. Therefore it means by himself, a meaning alone. Okay. Now, no, it does not have to mean that it just means the Lord himself is going to come. He's not going to send someone for him. Jesus himself is going to show up on that day. He's not going to send an ambassador. He's not just going to send a messenger. Jesus himself is going to be there. We are going to see him. Okay? And, and be like we said, the, you know, the president himself is going to show up at this meeting. He's not just sending an ambassador. No, he, he himself is going to be there. Now, it doesn't mean by himself. President never goes anywhere by himself. He always has secret service and people with him. And so prove too that this can't be talking about Jesus by himself. And he even says, now he's going to have an angel, you know, the voice of the archangel. So he's not by himself. He's got an angel, but also he said, he's not coming with his saints. He said that he's going to say that many times. He's not coming with his saints wrong. That's a lie. Okay. 
This isn't even debatable. First off, he's been talking about those who are asleep, and he said, even them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So he's going, he's coming with his saints. First Thessalonians 3.13, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He said, Ted Alexander says he's not coming with these saints. He's coming for his saints. No, he's coming for his saints while with his saints. He's doing both. It, this is not debatable. Okay. This is clearly spelled out in the Bible. He's coming with his saints. And it doesn't say he's coming with the church. Where's, where's the church mentioned? Doesn't say he's coming with the church. Of course not. Cause he's not coming with an individual church. He's coming with all the saints. It's about all the saved. This is about all the believers. That's what it says. There are people who are not a part of a church who are saved, but I believe they're going to be raptured because he's not just coming for the church. He's coming for the saved and he's coming with all his saints. So he's going to keep saying that he's going to keep emphasizing. He's not coming with his saints. Yes, he is. Okay. You're just wrong. And not picking on him. Almost every pre-tribber says that there's been a few I have personally called out on that and they have like, yeah, you know what? We can't say that. Okay. All of you need to accept that. You can't say that the coming of the Lord, he's coming with his saints. And, but that in your catechism, you were all taught. You got to distinguish between the rapture and the second coming at the rapture. He's coming for his saints at the second coming. He's coming with his saints. No, he's coming with his saints at, at the rapture. He's coming with his saints at the coming of the Lord, as it's referred to in 1 Thessalonians. So just wrong, 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 wrong. He's not coming by himself. He's coming with his saints, with an archangel. And he even, even admitted he's coming with an archangel. But again, he's trying, again, just trying to show a difference between 1 Thessalonians 4 and Matthew 24 and failing, literally contradicting the direct words of Paul to create a distinction. Okay. Again, Brother Alexander is more than welcome to come. And if he wants to display how he is not coming with his saints, how do you explain he is not coming with his saints when it says he's coming with his saints in chapter three and chapter four, he's bringing them with them, the dead in Christ. Uh, I, I, I would love to talk to a pre-tribber who wants to continue after hearing this to insist that he is not coming with his saints at the rapture. And with the trump of God, he's now coming for the saints. Remember, uh, with the saints or for the saints, it makes a huge difference. This text again, like John 14, he's coming not with saints, but for saints. And he says, and with the trouble God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those in the graves will not prevent them, will not go before the event, pre-event them. We will go right after them. You say, well, I thought it was all one event. It is. It's kind of like this. Zap, zap. Those in the graves go. And then we which are alive and remain. Here's what it says. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, which tells me it's after, but right at the same time frame, each one in their order, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, not at the battle of Armageddon. We're going up to clouds where Jesus has just come down to. And then it says, and so shall we, it doesn't say go to the battle of Armageddon. It doesn't okay. say no one teaches go to the battle of Armageddon. I've already showed that no one teaches go to the battle of Armageddon. Okay. He's referred to Anderson. He's referred to after the tribulation. He's referred to post-trib pre-wrath. No one in that world teaches go to the battle of Armageddon. Matthew 24 does not refer to Armageddon. Okay. 
in the catechisms, they insert it there. When they preach about Armageddon, they'll refer to that, but it, it, it's not mentioned there. Okay, so again, even in the post-trib pre-wrath doctrine, we have us going to heaven there too. So this is, an, this is a straw man. Okay, so we've had, so he, I mean, directly contradicted the words of Paul, and now he's making a straw man argument. Fight our enemies and enter the millennial kingdom. It says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This indicates our presence in the presence of God in heaven for those seven years and that seven year program God has for his Gentile bride, uh, the church and the whole family of God while he's dealing with Jews down on this planet. And then it says in verse 18, wherefore, based on these things, comfort one another with these words. The very words I just read to you, can I comfort you today? They're true. Jesus Christ is coming, not with the saints first, but for the saints. And that is a comfort to me. Praise God, we're going up to be with Jesus Christ. There's going to be a rapture. We could be those in our generation that are alive and remain into the coming of the Lord. Now, one last thing. How do you preach this? It does not fit theologically if you're mid-trib or post-trib. Just assume I'm a mid-trib pastor. I walk to the pulpit. Bear with me a moment in my folly. And a Sunday morning sermon begins and I say, I want to comfort you today. I want you to know we have a great comfort and here's what it is. The tribulation will begin with us still remaining on this planet. And before you know it, the four horses of the apocalypse will appear. You know that they're given power to kill a fourth part of the earth. That today would be one and one half billion plus people dead. Boy, that's a comfort, is it not? You'll be living in a time frame when creatures will crawl up out of crevices of the earth and sting you and kill you. There'll be, there'll be fishes washing up on the shores and the stench of them will rot in your nostrils as the seas and the rivers turn to blood. A great smoking burning mountain will fall from the sky and land upon this planet. Earthquakes will happen and, and all these terrible things, fire, literal fire and brimstone falling from the sky and every green blade of grass burned up it's gonna be a horrible time and we're gonna live three and a half years into it and we're mostly all gonna die of, of starvation running for our lives from Antichrist can I comfort you with that today makes no sense whatsoever the only theological position that fits with verse number 18 and the rest of the passage incidentally Christ here is seen coming for the Saints to the clouds to take us up to be with the Lord forever and then the Bible says that is our comfort if you allow someone to steal your position on the pre-trib pre-meal rapture move you to a mid-trib pre-wrath post-trib it just doesn't fit how about this one I want to comfort you today. We're going to live through all seven years of the tribulation, but most of us are going to die as martyrs. I just want to bring you great comfort today. Just doesn't work, folks. The only thing that works is that Christ is coming. First, the dead in the graves that are saved in the church age will rise, and then we will be hot on their heels, and we go up to be with Jesus Christ in clouds of heaven and to see the Father. What a wonderful thing that is. Let me comfort you today. Jesus Christ is coming again, and he's coming at the rapture prior to all seven years of the tribulation period. All right, so right now, I'm going to tell you that there, the chances of Ted Alexander coming on this program are probably zero because he will not want to give an account 
for what was just said here. So first off, many of those things that he mentioned that you're, you know, when he's saying, you know, bear with me in my folly, you know, you're going to be here for all these things. Those are all wrath of God things that the post-trib people would say, we're not here for those things. So it's another straw man. It's another showing an ignorance about the position that he's making 10 videos to debunk. So uh, shame on you for that. But here's the other thing too. Now, and again, I'm, I'm telling you pre-tribbers, listen to me and admit the, admit the errors, the hypocrisy, the contradictions. These things are undeniable. There are things that are difficult, that are disputed, but there are some things that are undeniable. And when you see just blatant hypocrisy on display, it ought to tell you something. Now, every Baptist preacher, I, I'm sure every Baptist preacher that is out there, including Ted Alexander, has gone to a funeral and they have rightly, correctly gone to First Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13, reading through 18, comforting the people at the at that graveside that that loved one who was saved what and they are putting in the ground that they will see them again they literally go and they say i would not have to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope hey it's okay if you're sorrowing right now you know we love this person we're going to miss this person but i don't want you to sorrow like the world who has no hope because if we believe that jesus died and rose again even them also which sleep in jesus will god bring with them and then we go on to comfort them with the fact that one day we will be reunited. And, and is that not comforting? Every Baptist preacher has obeyed the Apostle Paul in his words and literally used those very words to comfort people that they will see their dead loved ones again. But then when they preach a pre-trib rapture, all of a sudden, at the graveside, I mean, they preach it exactly like Paul says they preach it in its context. They get up in their pulpit in church trying to defend a bad doctrine. And all of a sudden, they completely change the context and they comfort you with the fact that you will not go through tribulation. Is that what Paul was doing in 1 Thessalonians? Was he comforting? Was Paul comforting them with those words that they would not go through tribulation? I don't think so. Let me just hit a few highlights in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, notice what it says in verse uh, 3. It said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our fathers. So he's talking about their patience. Why do they need patience? Well, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction in joy of the Holy Ghost. Go read Acts 17 or 18. We see that they were going through persecution. They were suffering affliction during that time. They were going through trouble. They were going through tribulation. Uh, look at what it says in first uh, in chapter 2 in verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which he had endured, heard of us, ye received it not as word of men, but as an it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us 
and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, that they may fill up their sin always, for wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. There is a difference between wrath and tribulation. Christians go through tribulation, but we do not experience the wrath of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, you know, in, in, in every, well, in every chapter, we don't have time to read through all these things, but verse seven says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Paul wrote first Thessalonians four to a church that was going through trouble, affliction, tribulation. He said, he's going to recompense tribulation on them, which trouble you. So why would he comfort this group that they're not going to go through tribulation when they they literally were going through tribulation? When he even mentioned too how the, the, uh, this trouble came that he even told them was going to come. Um, let me see if I can find the verse uh, in there. Let's see. In verse... Oh, I can't find the verse, but it talks about, he talked about how the tribulation that he told him was going to come to pass and it came. He literally warned them about tribulation that was going to come. And he said, and sure enough, it, it came to pass. You, you faced these things, you dealt with these things. So that might be in second Thessalonians when he referred. Yeah. In fact, here it is. Second Thessalonians one, four, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So again, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so right there, we are seeing in almost every chapter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he talked to them about the trouble, the tribulation, the afflictions, the persecutions that they were going through. Why would he be, why would we use the words of Paul in first Thessalonians four, when he is comforting a people who lost loved ones to tribulation, letting them know you will see them again. Why would we take that passage and tell people, I just want to comfort you that you're not going to go through tribulation. Will you just bear with me in my folly for a little bit? How do you, as a pre-tribber, get up in your church and tell people after reading 1 Thessalonians, you're not going to go through tribulation. Yeah, the Thessalonians went through tribulation. Yes, the apostles went through tribulation. Yes, the early church went through tribulation. Yes, they're going through all kinds of, but you aren't going to. Not you. That's, folks... That's why we've got to understand there's a difference between tribulation and God's wrath. And we have displayed that. We have showed that. I already showed the Sword of the Lord article in the last episode where they were trying, they were addressing in 1961 people who were teaching exactly what we teach that tribulation and wrath are not the same thing. And we are here for the tribulation. We are here when Satan is persecuting the saints making war with the saints, but these supernatural judgments, the fire and brimstone, the, 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 the locust coming up from the crevices of the earth that he referred to. That's in, yeah, that's God's wrath. We don't teach we're here for that. So why are you bringing that up? I, so either you are ignorant of the doctrine 
or you are misrepresenting. And so, um, isn't it interesting how pre-tribbers are bold and they will, they will get up and they will read these passages. How you, you pose tribbers. Why doesn't he publicly ask me? What do you do with that passage? I would love to be asked that publicly by a pre-tribber. And you better believe I'll tell you. See, that's what's special about this program. There are things that I often don't understand that the other side, that the amillennials, the preterists, and all these different people are teaching. You know what I do? I have them come on the program and I ask them these programs. I don't sit there and ask the question and then give the their probable answer. That is not fair. And I think that's really lame. And so, again, we have displayed direct contradictions to the words of God, straw men, misrepresentations, ignorance of the post-trib pre-wrath position. And, um, and there is absolutely nothing that should be done and can be done other than full-blown repentance of many things. And that's why the chances of uh, him getting on this, coming on this program, even though are the chances of him coming on this program are probably zero, even though the chances of him coming on this program and being treated fair are 100%. So again, pre-tribbers, who's more, who's, who's being dishonest? Who's using bad arguments, logical fallacies, direct contradictions of the scripture. It's not this, it's not, it's not me. It's the pre-tribbers and these things that he's teaching, he is not alone. And um, he's got a bunch of people standing with him on these things. And you pre-tribbers, you get up and you repeat these things in your churches. You're, you're going to lose a lot of people. You're going to continue losing your people to us because they're not going to be able to stomach this kind of dishonesty. So anyway, I, I said, not trying to be mean, but I'm being fair. And this is some pretty serious stuff that we're seeing. And so anyway, that's all for today. And so stay tuned tomorrow. Uh, we still have five more videos to go through. So God bless you. Thank you for watching.